So it's around this time of year that uh, most of us, in one form or another, are exposed to a classic moment of awkward introduction. If you haven't experienced it this year, maybe you will, or maybe you've experienced it in the past. It's that moment when you're gathered, maybe in a new kind of work setting or in a new ministry setting, and maybe you're in a circle with a couple of people you know, but a bunch of people that you don't, and then the facilitator goes around and says, okay, welcome everyone. This is great to have everyone here, but I understand you guys don't know each other. Let's just introduce ourselves. So can you tell us your name, how long you've been in Alice Springs, and of course, one funny thing about you. Usually, we love the first one because we're pretty solid on our name. Uh, Number two, we kind of can do the math relatively quickly as long as we're not the first person in line. And the third one absolutely throws us because there's this sense of like, what am I supposed to say? Am I going to be the funny person of this group? Am I going to be that person? Am I going to be the person who accidentally overshares and become the awkward person of the group? Like, why did the facilitator say one funny thing? You could have just let it be, or John Hugo would say, tell us why you're here and get some real meaty stuff into that conversation. But it's this moment of awkward introduction. What do I say? And what is true of an individual can also be true of a church. Someone may be going down the street and uh, maybe have a conversation and they say, oh, you go to the Bappos. What are they about? And you kind of go... Mm, I know their name. I know long how long they've been in Alice Springs, but what's the weird thing about them? You know, like it's like, what do you respond with in that moment? You see, because every church should have a very similar why of existence, okay? As in every church in Australia, indeed the world, should have a very similar why, something to do with the Great Commission making disciples of all nations, right? And they'll talk about it using different kinds of language and different fancy terms, and each church has its own kind of kind of vocabulary that they use. But generally, the why on the existence of the church is the same, but the how and the what... How we actually go about doing that, um, what it looks like, what our unique expression of church is here in Alice versus, say, on the East Coast megachurch or whatever it might be, is going to be different in its expression. And that is good. It's actually a really good thing. But you know what's even better? When you're a part of that church and you know what it is. You see, you have come here to Alice Springs Baptist Church, each with a story, okay? You might be brand new. This could be your first time here. Maybe you found us online. Welcome. Maybe you were watching a a streaming of Fortnite and accidentally jumped over to the ASBC channel. Whatever it is, you've come here and you found yourself here. You might have been here a really long time. Doug and Vell, you've been here a while. You might have been part of conversations that led us to the how and the what of this church. And this series that we're going to do for three weeks, I'm going to speak for a couple and Ian's going to share on the third, we're going to be looking at this question of who we are. Right? Again, not the kind of the why, right? because we hopefully understand that you know, to make disciples, to help people come to know Jesus is, is called who we are, but, but the how and the what, how do we uniquely express this? This is what we are going to be talking about. So if you've been here a while, I hope this won't come as a surprise. <laughs> okay? But may it be a reminder, a reminder of what we are about.
So if you have your Bible, I encourage you to turn with me to uh, Mark chapter 1. We're going to be spending a little bit of time in Mark chapter 1 today. Uh, if you've got your phone, feel free to navigate there. One of the things we are at Alice Springs Baptist Church is people who love starting with the Bible because when we read the text, sometimes God just reveals things to each one of us that is our revelation for that moment. And if God reveals something and he convicts you to go and ahead and do something with that revelation, then that's fine. You can just tune me out, okay? Because the goal is to hear from God, not hear from Gavin, yeah? So that's why we start with the text. So we're going to start from Mark chapter 1, and we're going to start with verse 14. It is on the screen. Now, this happens just after Jesus' temptation, right? So Jesus has been baptized. He's gone into the wilderness to be tempted, and then it begins his ministry. And this is what it says in Mark chapter 1. It says in verse 14, after John, that is John the Baptist, was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Now, I cannot stress enough how significant of a teaching this is to what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Okay. Now, I understand that in some language here, which we're going to unpack in a second, it can actually be a little bit difficult sometimes for, to get our kind of Western thinking head around what Jesus is talking about, right? But it is something that when we actually understand what Jesus is declaring, it absolutely transforms every single area of our life. Interestingly, you'll note in verse 14, it says that Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. Now, we're familiar with this phrase, good news, right? We sometimes translate it gospel, right? Euangelion in the Greek, proclaiming the good news of God. This is the gospel of God. And so what we see here is, as Mark describes, that Jesus went about his ministry, and from the get-go, he is sharing the gospel. He is sharing the good news in Galilee. And this is the form that the good news took in Jesus' ministry. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. Now, over the last couple of weeks, we've been uh, talking a little bit about the Beatitudes, and we're going to be going to, sorry, the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to be journeying through the Sermon on the Mount over the course of this year. But this phrase, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, was core to Jesus' teaching, particularly on the Sermon on the Mount, but all throughout his parables, it was just core business. But the idea of the kingdom of God, again, can be a foreign concept to us. I mean, after all, the picture that we have of, say, for example, the English monarchy right now, or the democratic system that we are rooted in, uh, which has its foundations in essentially compromise, these kind of images aren't consistent with what Jesus was talking about when he talked about the kingdom of God. And so I want to give you just a really simple definition of what the kingdom of God is. A kingdom is where the king gets what he wants, right? Now, this is completely unfamiliar to us. We haven't lived under a monarchy of this nature, right? But in the first century and certainly in the preceding centuries, a kingdom was simply a kind of a form of dictatorship, right? It was where the king got what the king wants. And you can understand that obviously, depending upon the character of said king, it had a major impact and ripple effect upon the state of society. And so Jesus is saying, here is good news for you. The kingdom of God, that is God the king, is at hand. 
Now, if you're still trying to kind of get your head around this, because again, kingdom, when you think of kingdom, you might think of, I don't know, like Lord of the Rings, like a kingdom, a physical kind of realm. You might want to change the language here a little bit to help you understand it. You could easily say or equally say the kingship of God is at hand. That is where God gets what he wants is at hand. And Jesus says, this is good news. You know, in the plain English version, which sometimes we use with our indigenous readings, I love how it's often translated. It talks about uh, God as the boss. Now, I know that for some of us, we're like, oh, I don't like that terminology because I don't have a good experience of the boss. But if your boss was a person of incredible character, incredible integrity, who genuinely knew what was best, it's this question, it's like, hey, who's the boss? Because the boss gets what he wants. And this is the kingdom of God. So again, you can see how the character, how we understand God is so important because if we don't trust the king, if we don't trust the boss, then either we're not going to want to participate in the kingdom or we will be participating but under duress, not because we want to. And this is why regularly we return to, do we know the character of God? Do we know him as the good, good father that we sang about? When you sing that song, do you believe it? Or are you trying to be convinced? Some days for me, it can be both. But that's why we return to this question. But Jesus says it's good news. He is God and he knows the father's heart. And he says the good news is that the kingdom of God, the rule of God, the kingship of God, participation in what God desires is or has come near. Now, this has been translated in a various, a different various ways. But essentially, Jesus is saying it is available. Sometimes it's translated is at hand. And so essentially, Jesus is saying the invitation is being extended to participate under the kingship of God, and this is good news for you. This is good news for the wandering. This is good news for the lost. This is good news for those who have a picture of God that isn't of a loving and kind father. The invitation is being extended out. The kingdom of God is at hand. And yet at the same time, we recognize, just as the people in the first century did, is that we live in a broken world. How can God's kingdom be at hand? I still see the brokenness. I still feel the pain. Well, that's because it's a little theological, but this is what Jesus is talking about. It is available, but it hasn't yet come to its completion. That's the end of the story, if you look along our banner. All right? There is this invitation to participate in the rule and the reign of God today. To live the way the creator, the loving creator, uh, created us to live. Now, we're, we're still in a broken world. There's still going to be stuff that's messed up and we're not always going to get it right. But you are invited to participate in this today. One day, we'll experience it in its fullness. The beautiful reality of where God actually gets what he wants all the time. Right now, we live in the now, but not yet. And so here at ASBC, to be a Christian, to be part of this church, it's more than a label, and it's more than attendance at church services. We are citizens of God's kingdom, and we choose his kingdom of self-sacrifice, which is what he demonstrated 
all throughout his ministry and through the death and resurrection of Christ, we participate in his kingdom of self-sacrifice rather than the kingdom of the world, which is a kingdom of self-preservation. I know that sounds very dualistic, us and them. But when you actually think about the world and how it operates, when we are even at our worst, it's all about self-preservation. I want power and possessions and popularity, anything that can keep me secure. Whereas Jesus was always about giving himself away. And that is the way of God. Because if we trust that God is a good king, that he'll provide for our every need, that our hope is assured even in this temporary world, we can give generously and participate in his way. As Jesus taught his disciples to pray, your will be done, Lord, on earth as it is in heaven. This is what it means to invite and participate in God's kingdom today. Your will on earth as it is in heaven. That is what it means to be a kingdom people, and that is who we are. We are a kingdom of God. We are a kingdom people on mission every day. This isn't some sort of label. This isn't some sort of attendance. This is about participating in every part of life in the way that God originally created us to experience this life and to share that with others. A couple of weeks ago, I talked about, just, I just used some different language. It's the same stuff. We are a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. This is the biblical language that is used. We are holy priesthood. We are participating each and every day in God's way as best we can. And in doing so, we're not about building our own empire. We're not about building our own platform, right? That's, that's the way of the world. We're about self-sacrifice. You know, um, I mentioned in, a, in an, an email, I think it was Friday a week ago, <clears throat> I got invited to sit with a, a bunch of ministers um, uh, to talk about some of the issues that are happening in Alice Springs. It was wonderful. We had a, uh, a political advisor just roll into church on, I think it was a Thursday, and um, was like, hey, we'd love to sit down with the ministers of Alice Springs and kind of invite you into this conversation because we know we've been leaving you out, right? Um, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's, we'd, we'd love that. That'd be really good. We're not, we know that we're not entitled to it. You know, we're not entitled to this conversation. We don't demand it. But the fact you've invited us, we would love to take that up. That would be really, really cool. Um, and those of you who know me, you know I'm very apolitical. So it was a bit of a stretch for me. But I was like, yeah, let's get this together. And, uh, and we're sitting in this, in this table up in um, Alice Plaza. Um, you know, the stairs, you go up the stairs and you can't find anywhere. I was up in one of those rooms and, um, and we're sitting around this table and there's kind of, you know, about 12 of us representing the churches of Alice Springs, various leaders, and there was um, uh, Warden and um, uh, Hake. Yeah, I can never pronounce his name. Anyway, those guys, they, they were like, they were sitting around the table and, um, and they're kind of sharing about the troubles that are going on in Alice Springs. And this is not familiar, all right? We, we get this. We also know the media hype, right? This is not new. It's, it's significant, but it's not new, right? And, and you could feel the vibe of what they were wanting to share with us is we need a solution. We need a solution. We need uh, action for Alice Page taken down, right? If they did that, they'd be like, that is a win, we want barbecues on the streets. Okay, so, and these aren't bad things. I'm not saying they're bad things, but you could hear within the tone of the conversation was there was this desperation for a solution, right? Even while, and I'm not, they're not naive. They know that it's not going to fix everything. Like, okay, so like don't come across as naive, but they still wanted a solution. They wanted some sort of golden bullet, some initiative or program that would at least bring some reprieve to what is going on. 
And um, anyway, and so we're having this conversation there, talk, 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 and just, uh, I just love it. It was just a great image. I wish there was a camera there. Like, us pastors were just sitting there listening. Mm, mm, mm. Real pastoral care. Like, you know, it was just like, it was like, we're just like sitting there, it's like 12 people just like letting them just kind of, you know, just get it off their chest. And anyway, and, and I piped up after a little while, I said, hey, I, um, and I didn't mean for it to come across this way, but I, it was funny in hindsight, I said, hey, you're sitting in a room of professional listeners. You know, and anyway, we had a bit of a laugh about that. But I, I talked about the fact that this is what we do as pastors, but also representing the congregations, right, across Alice Springs. I said, as Christians, we're out there and we listen. We listen to those who are hurting on both sides of this because a lot of people are hurting. We're the kind of people who appreciate the stories of people and we respect them and we honour them, right? And I said to them, I know that you, it doesn't sound like a solution, I'm just going to put this out. This is going to sound so foreign to you guys, but we actually believe in the power of prayer. And Jesus taught us uh, to uh, not only you know, sit with the, the brokenhearted, but also to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. And I said, what would it look like if we had a thousand Christians across Alice where their regular approach to the injustices that they are facing would be to, yes, sit within that pain and, and, and fully respect that, but then also to pray for those who persecute us. Anyway, that was received really well, and they said, yay, I'm all, all for Jesus. No, no, it didn't, didn't happen. But it, was, but, but it was an important moment because it was shifting it from the solution program thinking into we have people, right? And for me, this wasn't me kind of grandstanding. This was reflection of who we are as a church, right? I love um, this quote uh, from uh, Wendell Berry. Um, let's click the wrong button. People want a solution as large scale as the problem. And that's rarely the case. Instead, what usually is the case are a bunch of small solutions, but those small solutions don't satisfy, satisfy people's need for drama. It doesn't feel like something is being fixed right away. This is a problem with institutions right now. Lots of small solutions are needed in a time when small solutions are seen as inadequate. I love that. I love that. Because I felt like that right there was just capturing this idea of like, we are people on mission every day. We're doing our thing. We have an opportunity to respond to the hurting and the brokenhearted. And yet we want the big flashy solution that fulfills our need for drama. And yet, as people on the ground making choices, that what brings about the kingdom. And this is what Jesus describes all throughout his ministry through his parables. The little actions that make a world of difference. Um, and so we want to see evidence of this. What does this look like? Uh, it's not just about us gathering on Sunday and being a holy huddle. Scott spoke about this last PM service. We are called to unity, but we are also called to proclamation. <laughs> right? We're called to proclamation. And so what we want to do as a church is we want to imitate Jesus' ministry as we consider what this call to be a kingdom people looks like. And the first thing that we kind of could describe it at is kingdom invitation. And the reason I'm using these, these words is so maybe you can just get a little handle on some of this thinking. Kingdom invitation. We want to be inviting people, just as Jesus did, to participate in God's kingdom in his way. I love that straight after here in verses 16 through to 20, so Jesus is declaring the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe, be part of this, guys. This is exciting, right? And then he comes across um, some fishermen as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee. He saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. And he said, come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. 
And once they left their nets and followed him, and there's so much backstory here around the rabbinic style, but we won't go into it today. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. And so Jesus was all about inviting disciples, inviting people to imitate him and participate in what he was doing. And so when it comes to what it looks like for us to be a kingdom people, we should not be surprised that invitation is core to who we are. I love how he uses this phrase, I'll send you out to fish for people. Uh, in some translation, you know, you might be familiar, you'll become fishers of men, right? I love this, right? Because what Jesus does is he says, I'm going to take what you have. And all of you here sitting here joining us online, you have something. You have been gifted with something. And Jesus says, I'm going to take what you have, your insight, your skills, your awareness. I'm going to take all of that and I'm going to direct it for kingdom purposes. I'm going to use that so that you can extend invitation to others. I love it. I love it. Because this is what Jesus calls us to do. It's not about developing necessarily a whole new skill set. It's not about exiting out of our vocational area in order to do the kingdom of God stuff. It's saying in and through what you are doing, I mean, these guys obviously stopped fishing, but in and through what you're doing and the skills that you have, have, have developed, go and be kingdom people. And that's going to take patience and perseverance, but it's going to be great. And so a phrase that we use here sometimes um, and kind of, I suppose, in some respects, is kind of the, the foundation of some of our God story stuff is to see the word of God planted in every heart. The word of God being the truth, being the revelation of who God is planted in every heart. In that particular encounter, I'm going to give you a taste of who God is. And Jesus says that he is good and that following his way is good news. And so those little efforts matter, whether they are with a student at school or with a colleague at lunch or whether you're filing someone's tax return, you pick up on a bit of chaos and you need to bring it back into line and that's going to bless them. Whatever it is, give them a taste of God's way. And in doing so, when we invite people in, we say, all I'm inviting you to do is to try, <laughs> to try. Try trusting God. Try trusting his rule and reign. Right? And we might use some other language, but the idea is, hey, taste this and discover that it is gospel. It is good news for you because you are participating in a different kind of kingdom. So a kingdom invitation is one of the core parts of what it means to actively live out uh, the kingdom of God. The second thing is kingdom impact. We actually want to make uh, a difference. Um, so there you go. I even gave you two I words, invitation, impact. You can remember that. That's easy, right? Impact. We want to make a difference. We want to see your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this is exactly what Jesus does next. In verse 21, Then they went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. See, the teachers of the law, they had, they had the Torah, they had the Old Testament, they just didn't quite know what to do with it. And so there was this sense of like people were hearing this and going, whoa, I get it. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. 
Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. And the impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. Now, I know to our Western mindset, this seems foreign, like, whoa, that's crazy. Okay, but like the understanding that the people are carrying uh, spirits that are controlling them, that are dictating their actions, this thing is foreign to us but is very real when you chat to people, okay? And so Jesus sees a need and he responds to it. That person is not supposed to be in that state. Under the kingship of God, this person is not living as God desires them to live. And so I'm going to call order out of that chaos. And that's what Jesus does. Straight after this, they go to Peter's mother-in-law's house and she's sick and they heal her too. So Jesus wasn't just about preaching, even though that was obviously a core part of his ministry, and he wasn't just about inviting people in. He also wanted to see impact. The world, even in its broken state, become more and more in alignment with God. So again, here at ASBC, we don't divide the world into secular and sacred, right? It's not what we do. I know that there are people who work in professional jobs or at home and there's a temptation at times to be like, well, this area of my life is God's area and this area of my life is just what I need to do in order to like give money or something. That's not what we're about. We honestly believe and we speak into the truth that God wants to meet you wherever you are so that you can bring about kingdom impact exactly where you are. Invitation and impact. I love that um, John the Baptist, who was in prison, as we learned a little bit earlier, a little bit later on in um, Luke chapter 7, you can read it, he sends some of his disciples, and, um, and they, he wanted them to ask Jesus, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else, right? This is really fascinating, given like the whole interaction with Jesus and John the Baptist early on. Like Maybe John the Baptist is starting to have second thoughts. I don't know. I can't speak to him. But he's like kind of going, hey, I want to know, right? Are you like the one or have I kind of messed up a bit? Right? And so the disciples come and they ask Jesus, uh, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? And it says in verse 21, at that time Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits and gave sight to many who were blind. And so he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and what you have heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, Those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. So Jesus wasn't against kingdom impact. He was like, hey, you want evidence? Here's the evidence, right? Now you weigh it up. You were on the right track. And so when... I don't know where, where have I gone there? You might have to help me out, um, Soph, there. Um, When we live as a kingdom people... We should expect to see the kingdom of God break through. Thank you. Amazing volunteers. Thank you. When we live as a kingdom people, we should expect the kingdom of God to break through. And so today, I'm not going to go into too much detail around this, but I do want to mention it. We've got a couple more weeks. But you'll be familiar with our four kind of, we call them distinctives. That's not a word, but we kind of call it that, which is kind of like what different things do we value as a church And again, I'm not going into detail, but our expression of the kingdom of God includes the gathered. We think that gathering together for God's glory is so important that we are united and aligned in mission, that this is a place of safety and hospitality, particularly for those whom we are inviting to participate, not just in the kingdom, but in the priesthood of believers. We live in the desert. Not many churches can say that. Some can. Not many can. 
But by living in the desert, it actually exposes us to a unique understanding of who God is. We look at the scriptures and the story even of Israel and we say, what does it look like to trust the God that offers just enough in the desert? The God who gives us just enough so we can trust him rather than fall into that complacent state of self-dependence. We look around at the beauty of Alice Springs and we look at the environment. We love camping and we do all these things and we don't think that God is separate from them. In fact, we pursue these things because in doing so, we reflect the creativity and the delight of our creator. And so we celebrate that as a church, let alone the multicultural environment that we sit in. We're equipped people. Again, we don't want to just come here and kind of get our dose. We want to be equipping people so that wherever they are, they can invite uh, people to participate in the kingdom and they can bring kingdom impact. It's about building a toolkit for every single one of us to hear from God and then find expression of that each and every day, not just depending upon the pastors, right? We are a kingdom people. And lastly, scattered. This kind of has a couple of angles to it. I remember when we first talked about this, it's like scattered, that sounds bad. You know, they scattered at Babel, blah, 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 blah. blah. We're talking about this necessary scattering that occurs because we here in Alice Springs are a hub. And you guys know as well as I do, if you've lived here more than three months, people leave. <laughs> okay? People leave. And that's part of Alice. And we lament that, but also think for a moment what it looks like for a disciple of Jesus embracing the kingdom of God who is equipped with the tools of invitation and impact to go into some of those places who don't yet see that as a missionary. Now, that's pretty cool. And that's what we're about. And so we scatter across the week and we scatter across the nation. Indeed, we scatter across the world because that is where we are uniquely positioned. So next two weeks, next week, I'm going to talk about the, how the, um, uh, the organic, the kind of stuff that you guys do every single day serves the organized here at church. And then Ian's going to share about how as an organized group, we serve the organic. And so that you're kind of on mission. That's what we're looking at over the next couple of weeks. But I just want to give one final thought to wrap up uh, our time and this kind of introduction together. Um, in Mark chapter 12, uh, Jesus was asked by a teacher of the law, uh, what was the most uh, important commandment? Uh, and this was a, a big deal in rabbinic culture. It's like there's a sense of going, hey, I want you to know, I want you to get your take on what you think the most important commandment is. It does actually say that he was trying to trick him. He was trying to catch him out. But Jesus responded, the most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment, notice the singular, greater than these. How do you put a singular into a plural just like that? There is no commandment greater than these. So um, some of you may be familiar with what Jesus just quoted. This wasn't him coming up with something new. He was quoting a, a very famous Hebrew prayer called the Shema which was uh, written in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6. I've got it written down here. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Interestingly, mind was included for all those Greeks at the time. But Jesus was pulling out something that had always been there, the original intention of the Creator. But what I really love about uh, this word here, as it's reflected in the original Hebrew in the Shema, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength or your might sometimes here. 
The word here for strength is the word meod, meod. Um, and, uh, and while we often translate it as strength or might, the actual word means very. The actual Hebrew word means very. So essentially, Jesus in the Shema is saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your very. Seems kind of weird, incomplete almost. It's the same word that God uses when he looks at creation. He says, it is very good. Tov meod. Right? This is not new. But the Hebrew and the rabbis would talk that when they use this word meod, this word very, it means your very everything. It means all of your resources, all of your talents, all of your time, all of your strength, anything that you could possibly have to honor and offer God, anything you could ever do with your hands, anything you could ever accomplish on your own, you give it to God and you love him with everything you could ever produce and do, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your very. Here at ASBC, we are committed to being a kingdom people. We are on mission every day, planning the word of God, the revelation of God in every heart, knowing it is good news with our very. And so the question I want to leave us with today is that is there any part of your life that you need to still submit to the kingship of God? Is there any part of your life that for some reason you have said, that relationship, yeah, God's not a part of that. Or that job, yeah, God's, yeah, yeah that's, that's not a God thing. That's a secular thing. Is there any part that you have in terms of your own resource, any part of your very, that you say, well, yeah, that bit's just for me? In fact, the call to follow Jesus, again, isn't about doing more. It's about understanding that this whole world is already God's. It's the invitation to participate in his way. So your work, your family, your leisure, your finances, your relationships, what is your very that God wants you to live out? Let me pray. Uh, Jesus, we're so thankful that we have been recipients of your invitation. It's a beautiful thing. It's not always the easiest way. You knew that. You know that self-sacrifice comes at an incredible cost, and yet you demonstrated that to us, your faithfulness, your healing, your truth, your forgiveness. And so, God, as we head into this week, as we consider our lives, I want to pray that you would open up our eyes to those areas where we need to invite you in again. It's already yours, but we want to participate alongside you, knowing that you are good that you are faithful, that you are loving. And so trusting your way in those areas or with those resources is going to be best. It's going to be gospel. It's going to be good news. So give us that conviction, we pray, and help us to be your kingdom people here in Alice. In Jesus' name, amen.